Chapter 7 Dragonfly Medicine Out of the West heading north, many memories here, many stories, many pieces in the story, in my story, have reappeared, calling like a siren to be remembered, to be turned over like a leaf in the forest, looking for a mushroom. I keep turning them over, meeting them in the daytime, reappearing on a small island. Seeing Sheila, the seal, who shows up every time, it seems, I look to the sea. I walk in the forest. The heron flies overhead and lands on the tree above me, looking down at me, looking around. I look again and the heron squawks and squeals, takes off and lands again. I ask, well, so what's up? What are you trying to tell me? What am I supposed to bring my attention to? Turning the kaleidoscope, I hope the pieces will fall into place, come to at least a momentary standstill so that I can see a picture of what is next, where to be, how to be with all that is on the inside and the outside. Now, Sheila Sheila is the generic name some of us had given to the seal so many years ago, because it just seemed wherever or whenever we looked, there she was. And here, today, she shows herself again. Actually, each day I walk as she did when with my goddaughter Jen in the Northwest so many years ago. We took Jen to a tiny island off of Craycroft, the bigger island, where we set up our camp to be with the whales, way up in British Columbia, off of Vancouver Island. Island, island, island. I named the camp Orcananda. It was long before the days of commercial whale watching, and I am not sure ecotourism was even a word yet. Our dream then, which I shared with Jim and Katie Nolman, was to set up a base camp for a month and be there, calling the orcas to come to us, to see if they chose to come, to play music with them, to breathe with them, to commune in any way we were inspired day or night. And they, they inspired us throughout the time, filled us with spirit, with energy, with dreams, with words, images to be painted and shared. In the last few days there, it seemed an opportunity to offer Jen, then age 12 if I recall, a little rite of passage experience. At low tide, we could walk to this tiny island, and at high tide, the gateway to company and our camp was closed off by the water. Jen could have 24 hours there in solitude, hopefully to find comfort in herself, in her place, her place as part of nature. Such journeys, I felt, were essential to shift the lineage we carried of separation, dominion over. After a long, quiet night, we returned to Jen's island, Katie, Raymond, and I, 
to find her there happily ensconced in her surroundings. Together we built a small fire, and she shared her story. We sung songs. It was organic, one might say, what we needed to say to her, to each other, to the place, simply arose. When it came to close, we knew it by the sound of silence. There we sat for some time, only for the spell to be broken by none other than Sheila the seal. Now, you may not believe this, but that is of no matter. I must put it in writing that our closing on that tiny little island was marked by Sheila clapping. Out of the blue, she appeared directly in front of us, clapping just at the perfect time. My love of life there in Orcananda over five summers is fresh, alive in me like yesterday. My love of Jim and Katie is as well, who were now visiting here this week on San Juan Island. Though years go by that we do not see each other, we can always, as Wynne says, start the conversation in the middle. And so it is with Jen. She's always with me, even as she lives on the other side of the country, northeast. We are connected through the water, the trees, the seals, a bit of silkies, perhaps, in our past. In the natural world, we can always start the conversation in the middle. She even called this week and left a message, not knowing I was here or on my way to the emergency room that day. But that's another story. Last night, I dreamed of Drummond Pike, founder of the Tides Foundation. He was the man I called when I knew I needed an NGO organization in order to take responsibility for releasing Joe and Rosie back to the wild. No one had legally done that before. Dolphins were protected from being moved, in some cases because they were simply thrown away when they didn't perform for us humans. Any were lucky if they ever made it back to the sea. I remember walking with Drummond down the dock of where our rented houseboat was in Sausalito. It felt good to be close to, kind of, well, walking on the water, as I had no idea what I was going to say to him. How is this release back to the wild of two dolphins going to land as any project worth time, energy, structure, visibility, money? It would need not only the okay by Drummond to be under the tide's umbrella, it would need donors to fund it, scientists to approve it, the Marine Mammal Commission to give a permit. Though daunted by such thoughts walking on that dock, the words I needed came, just like they had with Jen, just like they do in council, in nature, in ceremony. We decided we'd call the project ORCA, Oceanic Research Communication Alliance. That's thanks to Peter Shenstone's naming. The largest dolphin 
would continue to inspire and guide us. Though to many, spending such attention on two dolphins seemed crazy, when so many were captured, so many more would be threatened by the increasing pollution in our ocean world. Why? Why these two? I had to say it was these two that I knew, these two that called, these two and this story that we could co-create together that made sense in a crazy, insane world. Drummond said yes that day, and although I see him so very few days, over 40 years since we met, I feel the connection still there. In the dream, at long last, last night, I met his wife and witnessed the force of the feminine at his side. I find myself curious today to find out if he has been able to integrate his so-called home life with his work life, his family life, his career, the company or organization he birthed and mentored, into the next generation with his transition to being an elder. He and so many in the capitalist world, even in the NGO world, in our modern world, too often describe and experience this tear between loves, this separation in their or our hearts. I've experienced it for sure myself, tracking its source all the way back to that separation from nature, somehow losing the most essential connection of all. Being with the orcas, the trees, the seals, the herons helps me remember. And from there, I listen again for home, for family, for that line you're probably sick of hearing by now. But here it is, where to be and what is mine to do. In coming home, I know I am bringing the pieces together inside of me, the stories that have given me life, the experiences that have actually given me my life. A life that I can only choose when consideration for all life is included. For this life is not one that came or comes easily, one that is connected, part of, rooted in the language of Earth Sea. Sadly, it's been lost over many generations of separation from homeland ancestors, no longer carried by my family traditions, rituals, or practices. Back to Ireland, to the Celts, to so far back that it will not be found in books, much less in family stories or songs. And yet somehow, going back, way back for me, it is remembered, as it is longed for, listened for, worked for. It's found in the ocean, the orcas, with the dolphins, and with the dragonflies. Last week, in San Juan Island Sculpture Park, I landed upon a giant dragonfly. Maybe better said, it landed upon me. I came around the corner, and the inscription read, Giants. Giant dragonflies flew about 250 million years ago 
in the great swamp forests that became the coal of today. They had wingspans of up to 30 inches. The first aerial predator, they ruled the skies for over a hundred million years. Until first pterodactyls, flying reptiles, and then much later the birds evolved. I remembered so many years ago visiting a Métis medicine person, one who by their nature of mixed blood bridges between many worlds. I asked him, how can I be part of the healing that's so needed? His response to me was that I had dragonfly medicine and I best placed some attention there. For the past 20 years, based at Three Creeks, Payuhunadu, it is impossible not to do just that. Surrounded by hundreds of dragonflies most every season. We notice the individual's short lifespan, even though their lineage is so ancient. Somehow, that alone, their short flights of beauty relative to the big planetary story gives meaning. They're transparent, translucent beings. Their copulation and partnership and flight darting around above the water inspires me to pray, to call in, to give attention to beauty, love, joy, and ease. Later in the week, as we researched potential watering holes in the Northwest, we walked into one home where, instantly, we knew we could live. The view, the long view over both the land and water was spectacular. The air was clear, and I breathed it in without smoke for what was the first days of doing so since the California fires began six weeks ago now. As we walked around the home, I knew a woman had lived there for a long time. The art on the walls, the linens, the dishware, the scent of her was present, comforting. One room filled with windows built with many sides and surfaces allowed the light in, bridging the inside and outside, the natural world and the human-made one. And there, on the wall, was a brilliant needlepoint painting framed of a dragonfly. Underneath, I drew close to be able to see the title, Myth. In that room and in that moment, I knew we would not buy a house, this house or any house, for the view, for the location, for the investment even, for the security of a place north of the California burn. My home was in the myth, the dream, the prayer and action. Only when such a purchase was part of that, part of the healing, would I be able to move, would I act. A few days later, we were shown another home set up to be a camp as well for visitors, tourists, refugees to come, perhaps. Gardens, animals, 
all nestled together on a small lot, not too far from the main thoroughfare on the edge, another bridge place between the worlds. And its name? Uh, Hard to believe, but it was called the Dragonfly Farm. Now come on, what's happening here? Though I knew it was again not mine to own or steward, I was grateful to see the life living here and knew another would come to carry that permaculture dream along. A simple, beautiful expression of an ancient being an ancient worldview, to coexist within nature, to live in reciprocity as part of. We are in the quickening. I can barely keep up with my dreams. The different realities weaving, moving like kaleidoscope, turning in my head and heart, past, present, and future together, informing inflaming truth. Two dreams this week of tsunamis, so very real that they remain with me in my body. In the dream, I saw a woman going under. As I continued to somehow catch my breath between the two incoming waves, I reached to grab her leg and pull her to the surface. I woke with a sore arm which remains for bizarre reasons now, days later. Part of this mystery is that I feel I'm living in the dream, half awake and half asleep, a little like the dolphins, I suspect. Last night, watching the first international news in a month, I learned of the tsunami that followed the earthquake in Turkey. Samos, the Greek island where I stayed on pilgrimage so many years ago, was impacted by the tsunami waves. The waters are clearly rising everywhere, the fires increasing. I can feel that heat as I cross the border back into California. Literally, I can feel the heat. We were fortunate yes, privileged, to be able to leave for a couple of weeks to literally catch our breath. Knowing that's not the case for most or many, and feeling it is not the story of escape that we are likely to have or choose in the future. I am in it, living in between the worlds, a bridge person for now, a migratory species, a transient orca connecting with resident pods home in the water, hopefully part of the flow of resources, love and care beyond boundaries, listening for the response possible in these times. I feel quite small, insignificant, actually, I'll say pitiful in the scheme of things. And that seems too an appropriate seat in the community of life. As I watch and listen to the latest technological solutions being designed to reduce carbon, divert climate disaster, I can only wonder about the change of consciousness, 
that seems equally, if not more, essential. Charles Eisenstein speaks to it well. White supremacy, extraction, colonialism, patriarchy, classism, dominion over in its many forms, riddled through so many generations, evident amongst diverse cultures and civilizations. I imagine the very first fire, certainly, since the first organized religion. These have been in our world. I remain a product of the pattern, and I must work to break out, to remember the long view to see the planet as the water one it is, and to court the consciousness that comes from living on an island on Earth. That is a minute part itself of a very much larger, vast universe system. Today I will sit in council with my European family, and tonight begin a ceremony in the field of Halloween and All Souls Day. The intention to connect more deeply with our ancestors, who have been too often unheard. Gratitude for the bridges, the beings moving between the worlds guiding us, or should I say guiding me, to find my home in the story and be willing to let it go, to adapt, respond, change, and dream anew.